Hello, and welcome to the Big Leads Press Pass Podcast. I am your host, Liam McEwen. And today with us, we have Joe Davis, play-by-play broadcaster for the Los Angeles Dodgers and general on-air talent for Fox Sports. Joe, thank you so much for joining us today. You got it, Liam. Nice to talk to you. Yeah, I appreciate it. And uh, so one of the reasons, Joe, that we're speaking today is to discuss the very exciting development in your own career, which is that you were nominated for a sports Emmy in the category of on-air emerging talent. Congratulations. And, uh, you know, how do you feel about that? We'll just start with a nice general one. Yeah, no, thank you. It was a huge surprise and something that every year, I think all of us in the industry and Anybody who follows the industry looks forward to seeing the nominations when they come out in the spring. And to have my name be one of them was, was a really special thing, especially seeing the talented people that my name was grouped with in, the, in that category. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, just thinking back in your career in general here, you know, you, you've been on air for a while, but not as long as a lot of your counterparts around baseball, especially. I mean, how far do you think you personally have come in terms of your on-air talent, your ability to call games the way that you want to call them that has led to being recognized in such a national area? Yeah, I hope a long ways, and I hope that I never stop growing. I think that's one of the great things about baseball is that because it's every day, it's a chance to get better every day. And I've always tried to have that, have that philosophy going back to my time doing minor league baseball, especially mm-hmm. those very first couple of years where I was doing first Schaumburg Flyers games and then Montgomery Biscuits games. From game one to game 140, if you listen to the tape of the opening day versus the last day, there are huge differences in how I was calling those games just from having gotten those reps. And there is no substitute for reps. So I, I hope that I'm using every one of them still to address something from the night before and be better at something than I was the night before. And hopefully you stack enough of those little improvements up on top of each other when you have that many chances to work at it because of the baseball schedule. Hopefully you do have a chance to get a lot better as your career goes on. Absolutely. And I mean, could you imagine when was the when was when, when did you first realize that, you know, sports broadcasting was for you? That was what you wanted to do. Yeah, I'm lucky in that I've known for as long as I think as long as you like start to have those thoughts about I want to be this when I grow up beyond like an astronaut, you know, like when you really start to think about what job you're going to have, this is what I thought I wanted to do. And it's okay if you don't know, but it's a really huge advantage, I think, if you do know what it is you want to do at an early age. So even before you realize you're making big, important decisions, you kind of are right as you start to look at where you're going to college. That's a big, important decision based on or, you know, leading to how your career is going to start. And so I knew exactly what I wanted to do and was kind of able to use that to guide my decision making process as I went into high school and eventually into college. Absolutely. What was the first do you remember what the first game you ever called for play by play at any, you know, at any point in your life was? Yeah, so when I was a high school senior, I took a camcorder with the cap on the lens, so it was, wasn't recording any video, and I set that camcorder on a table courtside at a regional basketball game. My dad was a longtime high school football coach and so connected to the ADs in the area and everything, and uh, hooked up through one of the athletic directors in our conference, and they got me this little wooden table to sit right next to the scores table, and I recorded my voice onto that camcorder with a buddy of mine. And I, I prepped the best way that I knew that I could. And I remember having a blast doing it and thinking, man, this is, I, I figured this is what I wanted to do. Now having actually done it, I was sold right away. 
Yeah, I actually uh, I had on the podcast a couple of guests ago. Uh, this uh, guy I went to college with his name is Matt Murphy. He was play by play for the Delaware uh, Delaware Blue Coats NBA G League, and he told me that when he was in college up at Fordham, uh, one of the one of the drills that he had to do, we'll call it, was that the WFUV director brought in a blind man to sit next to him while he did play by play. And the blind guy judged how good that was. So when you were making your way up the play-by-play ranks, did you ever have to go through anything kind of like that, you know, intense? No, that's awesome, though. I love what you can't get better hands-on training than that. That is yeah, it's remarkable, truly. And you you spoke, you just now spoke a little bit, you know, you prepared how the best way you could when you were, you know, a high school senior. How has your overall preparation for each and every game changed over the course of your career? Yeah, I think it's always evolving. And I think that the biggest evolution is not prepping less or working less hard, but it's mm-hmm. finding a way to prioritize and not bog yourself down. Because as you get to do these bigger games, there is no shortage of information. And so I think the bigger risk is having too much on your plate, being just Mm -hmm. covered in notes as opposed to not being prepared enough. So I've learned as my career has gone on how to better prioritize that information, you know, those stacks of articles and notes and everything that we get throughout a week getting ready for a game and how to streamline that all, how to organize it. And I go back to baseball being an everyday thing, specifically for baseball, it becomes almost second nature, the prep and the, it, it's just kind of life is, is reading articles and jotting those note down notes down and memorizing those notes. And everybody has their own system, but uh, that's definitely an area where you can evolve as your career goes on is learning what prep works for you, what you need, what you don't, what you need in front of you, what you mm-hmm. can trust that you're going to remember. And again, it's going to be different for everybody. And I think I'm still learning exactly what's right for me, but definitely have grown in the way I do that. Yeah, for sure. How have you seen that grown in particular since you've taken over full-time play-by-play broadcasting for the Dodgers at the biggest level? I think that it's just a cumulative thing in that regard, where when I was first starting, every note that I was putting in, that was the first note that I was putting in on, I don't know, Buster Posey. And now I've got five or six years, six years of notes on Buster Posey, not just in my in my Microsoft OneNote where I put all my baseball stuff, but in my mind. And there's no one of the reasons why I knew when I took the job, I couldn't try to be Vin Scully or try to replace Vin mm-hmm. Scully was because Vin had watched 67 years of Dodger baseball and yeah. you just can't you can't replace that. So uh, I've now watched six years of Dodger baseball, and that's a heck of a lot more than zero when I was coming into the job. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it was in comparison to 67 years, but every year, you know, you every year you pick up more and more experience of having seen the games played and. You have that firsthand knowledge and firsthand recall of the things that previously the best I could do would be to read about those things. Mm-hmm. And insofar as you you know mentioned, you were play, you're the guy who came after Finn Scully in a lot of people's minds. How have you sort of how did you deal with that initially? Sort of that that hole that you as you said at the time, as you've been saying since, you're not trying to replace Finn Scully. But when you go into this job every day, what's your kind of your mindset in that? For me, it was what made the job special and what made it a job that I knew that I had to take, uh, where I was, I was sitting in a really good spot doing the national stuff, and I wasn't necessarily out looking to take a job with a team. But this was one because of largely because of the context of Vin and before him, Red Barber, that I knew was too good to pass up. And so I tried to channel that the history and, and 
you know, the importance of that there, I try to channel that positively as a responsibility and as one of the great things about it, as opposed to a pressure. And I think if I had channeled it as a pressure, then the tendency would have been to try and be somebody who I'm not and try to mm-hmm. be who I think fans want me to be or worse yet, try to be Vin. And I think that allowing myself to just kind of be myself has been the probably the biggest key to the whole thing. Absolutely. And I think that's a great mindset to have. And it's, uh, you know, the past couple of years for Dodger baseball has obviously been quite a roller coaster. How does it feel as a broadcaster to watch, you know, your team, the team that you are calling each and every day, go from game one to game 162 through the playoffs and finally win a championship, especially after all the ups and downs that Dodgers have been uh, through the, in the past couple of years in that regard? Yeah, it's really cool. And one of the great things, as you know, Liam, about following a baseball season is is that 162-game story that writes itself as the summer goes on. And so to have a small hand in kind of capturing that story is is part of what I love about this job. And to have that story be such a positive story since I've gotten there, you know, I've half-joked with some people that if the team had lost 100 games a year since I arrived, they might have run me out of town by now. But because <laughs> they've been winning 100 games a year, I'm delivering good news and people like mm-hmm. good news. So I have the uh, the good product on the field to thank as well, I think, for, uh, for still being in that chair. But then watching them finish that off last year, honestly, a little bit of a, a bittersweet feeling, I think, for any TV team broadcaster because you're not calling those games. Mm-hmm. So to kind of sit on my couch and take it in like that, it's like, yeah, this is cool that they've won it. But it, it almost feels like uh, what I would imagine it would feel like watching somebody else raise your kids, like their stepdad, watching the stepdad raise the kid, you know, somebody come in and, and uh, you know, after, after you've put in the time throughout the regular season, <laughs> swoop in and do the biggest games. But it, it is what it is. That's how it goes in baseball. That is how it goes in baseball. Unfortunately, you get the big games taken because of all the, yeah. the TV and stuff. Yeah, that's a funny comparison. But uh, one other thing I wanted to ask you, you know, take me through kind of what an average day at Dodger Stadium is for Joe Davis. Uh, these days, a lot different than before the pandemic, just mm-hmm. because we have no access. So we, you know, seven o'clock game, I'll get there three ish. And I guess I'll, I'll give you the, the, the version pre-pandemic and hopefully what we'll get back to soon because there's a little more texture to that. You get there around three o'clock and settle into the booth and then I'm down to the field spending an hour or so down there during batting practice talking to the players and the coaches and Dave Roberts and back upstairs to fill out my score sheet and organize my thoughts. And a lot of the prep happens before you get to the ballpark. I was working in my home office prepping that night's pictures and reading through the previous night's articles and one of the great things about everyday baseball is that part of the prep is just having lived the season to that point uh, and, and just kind of organizing those thoughts each day that you, you already have in your mind. So really, I think any team baseball broadcaster could just show up and do the game and do a passable job because they've lived it to that point of the season. Um, you know, usually get upstairs from that, from the field visit around five, five thirty, eat some dinner and, uh, put some makeup on war paint. I like to call it with the war paint on before we go on camera and six forty, we have our first thing on the pregame show. And we usually are on the air with the actual game broadcast at seven and do it all again the next day. It's uh, that's the prep right there. That's exactly what, I, what everybody I think expects, but you mentioned when you, you, you know, pre pandemic times, you went down and you would, you know, 
talk it up with the guys on the team. You talk to Dave Roberts during the batting practice and stuff like that. And that is, I think, for media members as a genre, you know, as a category, that's one of the worst parts about the pandemic and so far as it relates to our job, where the access to players and access to other members of the team is really severely limited for obvious and necessary reasons. But I mean, going forward, and especially with now having had access limited, how important do you kind of hold that as a broadcaster in terms of your ability to talk to these guys, the relationships that you try to build and how that helps you do your job? Yeah, it's huge. It's everything. Like I, I feel like our broadcasts right now have no soul to them. They're just, we're just regurgitating what we read and regurgitating the numbers and really not bringing a whole lot more than the fan can bring sitting at home. Like we, they can, if they want to dig up this information, they can find it somewhere because we don't have any special access right now. A lot of times what drives our broadcast is that five minute conversation we have with Chris Taylor on the field before the game. And, and even if it's not taking something specifically from a conversation, the context that you gain, the color that you gain about the mood around something uh, can really help color the way that you cover something. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's a big deal not having, not being able to travel to games, doing the road games from our home booth. It's a bigger deal not having the access. How weird was that? Having a leaf floor here outside my house here. I don't know how bad you're that fine. Is. I can't. I can't hear anything. You're doing great. Okay, okay. Good. good. Great. Good. Um, how weird was that for you, calling games from your home booth while the team is out and about? And you're just watching on screen. I mean, how did that even work? Yeah, it's weird. I and mean, we were still doing it, still not traveling. So, uh, I mean, we're sitting in Dodger Stadium, mm-hmm. 55,000 seat stadium, and there are like six of us in there. And the lights are off. Stadium lights are off as you get into the nighttime. But like the ribbon board and the video board will flicker on and off now and then. It's honestly kind of eerie sitting in that giant house yeah. like that. And you're the only ones. You think about sitting, a, sitting alone in a big house can sometimes be a little unsettling late at night. Try being in Dodger Stadium. <laughs> it's eerie. Yeah, I can imagine that's pretty weird. And you're, you can't wait to get back. But bringing us back to the topic, a little bit of preparation. You, you know, when I congratulated you about the Emmy, you spoke about the guys that are in your category. And so as a broadcaster, you also mentioned that you're also always trying to improve, always trying to get better at your craft. How often, if at all, do you, you know, watch other broadcasters and sort of note what they're doing or you know, think that you like a certain way that they say a certain thing or things like that. Is that something that kind of works your way into the daily routine at all? Not, I wouldn't say daily routine anymore, just because I don't watch a whole lot of sports outside of the ones that I'm covering, just because mm-hmm. it takes up such a chunk of my time. And so when I'm not watching a sport to cover it, I'm probably not watching it, you know, I'm with my family yeah. or uh, doing something else. So it's not as much part of the routine now, but I still am a huge nerd of the industry and do love paying attention to the other people calling games and how they're doing it especially when I was starting and before I had a family of my own to devote time to outside of my job I listened to everybody that I could and stole as much as I could from the people that I liked and and uh, tried to try to create my own style out of really studying hard the other people that have had succeeded before me. And I think that's important for anybody in any industry is to study the paths of the people that got the jobs that you hope to one day get. And what are they doing well? And what are certain people doing that you don't like? And how can you apply that to your own style? So that was something that I always really prioritized when I was starting out in this career was listening to 
the men and women that uh, were succeeding at the job that I wanted to one day. When you were starting out and you were working on that sort of preparation, who were some of your favorites, if you have any specific names, kind of people who you really were like, you heard their voice, you saw what they were doing, and you're like, that's what I want. So the very first one would be Gary Thorne on the NHL on ESPN. Um, growing up in Michigan, hockey was big, and I remember watching him on the Stanley Cup finals and everything. Mm-hmm. He's, the big one for me is Joe Buck. Um, as much by as anything, I think that, you know, from the time that I became conscious of big games, Joe's probably calling those big games. Um, and, you know, so, so just because he was there, first of all, I started paying attention. But then as I became a bigger fan and, and student of the industry, I just don't think that there's anybody that's better at it than him at capturing and captioning a big moment and elevating a, a moment that's already big and making it feel bigger. So I, I've probably taken more from Joe in terms of style and um, the way to, to caption a call than anybody. Grew up a Cubs fan, so I think there's probably a little bit of Chip Carey in me from his time in the job. And then Len Casper after him. Len's been an awesome mentor to me. Um, and Pat Hughes, the Cubs radio guy, I think is the mm-hmm. best radio guy out there. You can find early tapes of me in you know, Schaumburg and Montgomery where – I'm bouncing back and forth between a Pat Hughes impression and a Joe Buck impression, <laughs> like straight ripoffs. But, uh, man, there, there are so many. Mike Tarico is another guy who's been so good to me and, and I think is as good as anybody. Sean McDonough, amazing, and also a, a friend of mine. And um, there, there are so many. I could go on and on. Guys that not just that I've stolen from and taken things on the air from, but that mm. have been so gracious with their time and advice through the years. And is that something you mentioned, you know, this is what you would tell people who are trying to break into the industry is pay really close attention to these guys. I mean, how did you exactly like pay attention to these guys when you were breaking in? You know, what was your exact method of, you know, trying to laser in and focus in on these people? I don't know. I don't know that there was anything scientific about it other than when I was watching these games, I was listening as as much as I was watching. And that wasn't because I wasn't a huge sports fan. I mean, I grew up in a like I mentioned with a football coach dad and in the sport because of that, and sports were around us all the time. But for whatever reason, I was always drawn to the people calling the games. And I don't know that I had any scientific way of listening to it or trying to pull things from it more just by osmosis through the years of watching so many games and, and uh, just having a focus on what they're doing and what I like and what I don't and pulling things without even really realizing I was pulling it, developing my own style before I even realized I was developing my own style by listening to those guys. That's a good way to put it for sure. And I was going to say, I imagine that uh, watching somebody else call your games is a little bit easier if it's Joe Buck, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. There's no doubt. <laughs> I think going to have uh, Dodgers Cubs coming up in a few weeks here. So I'll enjoy kicking back and watching that. <laughs> so when you look back on your broadcasting career as a whole, what do you feel like has really changed about your job since you first were breaking into the industry? Uh, you mean more big picture, like the job? Yeah, big the- picture, yeah. It's a good question. Um, I think that the minor leagues shrinking is a big deal for baseball play-by-play. Mm-hmm. That is what I've always said is the best way to get into it, even if you don't specifically want to be a baseball announcer. If you want to do play-by-play, go do minor league baseball, because where else are you going to go get 140 reps in 150 days, a lot of times solo? there's just no better place to break in. So it's a horrible thing for broadcasters that the minor leagues have shrunk the way that they've shrunk. 
Um, as far as the TV side of it, I think because there are more high-level productions now, it's maybe a little little bit easier to break into TV or at least web streaming, you know, to get quote-unquote TV tape, as we call it, where it is pictures and, the, and a TV call as opposed to just a radio call. Probably easier to log that tape. That was a big challenge when I was starting out. How do I get a TV reel? There's a catch-22. How do you get TV tape without showing that you've done TV? Mm. Uh, so I think it's probably a little easier to do that. And then hopefully this stuff that's come out of the pandemic is not permanent. I think a lot of it probably is. I think that you will see uh, some networks, some teams not travel their announcers. I hope that that's not too widespread of a thing. But I guess only time will tell how much of the uh, toothpaste is out of the tube with a lot of these things in our industry uh, through this pandemic. Yeah, that is true in many, many different areas. But my final question for you, Joe, is when you look back again, whole career, is there any one game that you have called that stands out to you in particular for any reason at all? Yeah, for, it's got to be for me game seven of the NLCS this last year. Um, I mentioned growing up listening to Joe Buck and watching you know, Major League Baseball playoffs on Fox and that theme music and the graphics and everything kind of burnt into my brain. And to get to do the postseason, this will be seven, eight, nine. This will be my fifth year doing the postseason total this this fall coming up. But to be able to do a game seven like that, filling in for Joe last year, uh, even if it wasn't the Dodgers, even if it was a Dodger loss, it was going to be a special night. But it, it wound, up, wound up being just the perfect night, like an out-of-body experience almost for me, getting to sit in Joe's chair for that one night and – have it be not just a great game, but a great game where the Dodgers won and I get to send my team to the World Series and uh, came away feeling I, I think I, I was extra proud of it, too, because that's a tricky thing to kind of parachute into the middle of a series, not knowing if game seven is going to happen. So following the series that I'm not calling kind of as if I am calling it just in the case that it gets to game seven, where I know if it does, I'm calling that game. Remember the Dodgers were down three, one in the series. So it's looking like, well, shoot, I got this amazing opportunity. If they, if it goes to seven, but probably not happening. Well, then it does. And, and to feel like the broadcast went well and that I had, I had put myself in a position for that to happen with, uh, you know, the prep throughout the series, just really gratifying on top of, you know, all the uh, pinch me stuff from that being a chair that I always kind of fantasized of being in. How'd you feel going into that? Oddly calm that night. And I, I think that that just comes with my biggest fear. And I think a lot of people's biggest fear is to be unprepared. And I mm -hmm. definitely was not that if anything, I was overprepared and, uh, Preparation, I think, usually when you when you really prepare well, can help reduce that anxiety, reduce those nerves going into it. Um, so yeah, there were some nerves, but just kind of an overall calmness. And I have such a good relationship by now with John Smoltz, having done enough with him, that there was a comfort level sitting there with him. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it was a it was a special day from start to finish. I was definitely able to enjoy and soak in every part of it, and not let uh, any anxiety or nerves about it get in the way of it. Yeah, well, that's awesome, man. And you definitely, I watched that game. You did a great job, in my opinion. Thank you, Lee. <laughs> of course, Joe. And thank you again so much for coming on the Press Pass podcast. Good luck with the uh, Emmy nomination. And I'm really excited to see what you do for the rest of the year. Thank you, Liam. It's good to talk to you anytime you need it, okay? All right. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate it. And thank you, listener, as always, for tuning into the Press Pass podcast. I'm your host, Liam McEwen, signing out.